Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... I'm Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everybody. It's been... We, we took two weeks off, partly because my phone was broke, but yeah. also for other reasons. We just... Uh, well, I didn't really know what to say during those two weeks. I, uh, it kind of... Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because I wasn't... Un, until his inauguration, I was not sure that Biden was going to be our president. And... There was kind of a, a brief limbo there, wasn't there? Yeah. I mean, I I had certain I don't want to know I don't know want to say their expectations they were ideas about what Trump could be doing um and maybe they were unreasonable but I guess when I think about the logistics of it and what exactly it would mean for the country maybe it was kind of unreasonable but I still thought it was possible and he was the one who kept saying I will never stop fighting and it seems like maybe he did but then again yeah or what would have been necessary he, would i i think a lot of lives yeah. might have ended if he had done something more extreme mhm so yeah i mean it, it was clear that that the uh i mean even now i'm i'm seeing reports of like antifa and blm riots and stuff like that even today they're continuing yeah. so it's like we're sitting on such a counter a powder keg, a powder keg of left, I don't know, discontent that's just ready to explode, even though their guy is now presumably in the White House. Yeah, they're still angry. And, and just think if, if if Trump had somehow manipulated to where he was in the White House, and perhaps he said, you know what, it's not worth the lives lost. Yeah, that is possible. Um, the thing is, I even hear conservative uh, people, and I don't mean fake conservative like uh mitch mcconnell who is a fake um i hear them say well no that this is not the time for uh any kind of violent um fight and and to me i think well we've proven that these people that a lot of these people are bought and paid for by china i mean it and and we've got evidence that China owned the voting machines. So how is this not a time for violence? When is a time for violence? But yeah, uh, it, I mean, if if I'm the only one who thinks that, or a very small number of people think that, then I guess it's not because it's not a time for violence if you can't win. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of the thing. You you've got to have uh, some reasonable expectation that the outcome is going to be what you want it to be. Which is what we said from the very start, and we said that doing things like storming the White House or whatever would be stupid if Trump isn't leading it. If it, if Trump is not directing it, then it's really just uh, more rioting and destruction, and, and that's not mm-hmm. really um, – but there there was some stuff going on at the White House. I, I kind of think what happened is a bunch of Antifa people pretended to be – Trump supporters and got a few of the not quite as smart Trump supporters wound up and talked them into entering the uh, The Capitol Capitol building. building. But I, I I hear all kinds of stories. And from what I understand, there wasn't really anyone trying to stop them. So they just kind of went in and these Trump supporters are, 
you know, they're at a Trump rally. They, oh, okay, we're going to the White This is what we're doing. And they just did it. And yeah, I, there was no serious resistance, uh, which makes you think that there was some kind of planning ahead of time. Yeah. And I suspect that the, um, at least the high ranking, especially the liberal lawmakers, probably knew that it was going to happen. They, they probably had a certain aspect of it choreographed. Yeah, that's the way it would seem. So it it has that feel to me. Yeah. Well, now not not that the people who entered the Capitol were part of were in on the plan. You you, you know right. what I mean? Right. It was. Th- there's yeah. There, when you get a group I, like yeah, I don't that, suggest that there are certain members of them who are kind of easy to manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. One and, or two well placed. You know, uh, provocateurs, agents, provocateur, and and yeah, you you can affect something like that without too much trouble. Yeah. So, oh well, it happened. The people who did do it are being punished, and I feel kind of sorry. Here, a whole lot of other people are being punished. (laughs) Yeah, some people who didn't do this were just. I, I thought going there to Washington was kind of pointless anyway. I. Yeah, it wasn't going to change or affect anything. Yeah, it, and it, it was done, you know. However, I think that because of the the number of people and the names of the people who were there, they were they were high profile, they were you know, boots on the ground conservative leadership types um that show that there's a real popular support for the kind of government that Trump was leading us towards, a real right. drained swamp, a real, you know, let's rip yeah. out the establishment mentality. This, this, and, and, you know, the real establishment mentality is this idea among so many of the, the congressmen, especially the senators. Senate, the Senate is a higher office than the House of Representatives. And so, especially right. among senators and clearly, you know, those who may at some point see themselves in the White House. They see their political posts as a birthright or entitlement. They don't see seem... it as a privilege. Yeah. And I think that's what was being challenged here. And I think that's that's the the really good takeaway from this is to see that there really is a big support for getting that kind of mentality out of Washington. Right. Um which I let's let's attack this subject. Um of today's podcast in in three sections and i i don't know if we'll even have time for all three but they're big discussions and it i think it's time to be really brutally honest about a couple things um number one where are we right now number two how did we get here and number three what should we do what's what's our next step where are we going Right. right um and of of course, one is I mean, I th- where we are right now. I, there are still people who don't quite get it. I I I was in a discussion with uh, some guy. I was just working on a machine, you know, and this is mm-hmm. just another blue collar guy, and this is pretty anecdotal, but I know it exists out there. You know, we're talking about what happened, and he's going on about how I have a feeling this is the first. Uh, the past four years is the first time he ever paid attention to politics, but he's talking about how we're going to, we're going to crush the Democrats and 
2022 and win the House and the Senate 20, back. Oh, in the in the uh, yeah the mid year or the midterms. Yeah. Um, okay, which statistically yeah. does happen, but I I I didn't really know what to say to him. I but I thought you did you not see what just happened here? We won the presidency, <laughs> and it's not ours. So, and we still couldn't, right? I right. mean, we, yeah. So that's 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 a good point. However, um, one of the things is that yeah, I really don't have a good answer for that. I was going to, you know, yeah. talk about how a, a lot of the the both the representatives and and even the senators are district districted. So, like, the state will have. Yeah, you know, I know. I think some states can elect the senators at large, and then some states, it's like each senator has a you know part of the state that votes for him, and the other part. And votes we for the other we guy. talked about this uh, sure off about the that. air, and I I think the local elections are every bit as crummy as we've seen happen in the federal election. I just don't think they've ever. I think in the past, the local elections are the most crooked. And they've never been able but to coordinate that to make it spell out in to a turn it federal into election. A, right, right. And I think that's Until what happened probably, now. I, well, I would say, now, you know, not now. I would say within the last maybe 20 years. Um, because the, the, the truth is that the more of this technology we bring into the electoral process, the easier it is to coordinate the the local uh, yeah. for, uh, corruption that exists, and let's not anybody pretend that it doesn't exist, into something that can affect something at a statewide or national level. Yeah. And the thing, the thing about this is that this kind of coordination, one of the things that, that people will say over and over is that, well, we really don't see reason to think, you know, reason to believe that there was widespread election tampering or fraud or corruption. But the thing is, because of the way populations work within states and how populations tend to center around certain cities and yeah. that kind of stuff, it doesn't need to be widespread in order to affect a national elected right. office. And, it, it, and that's one of the realities yeah. that that these these modern technological approaches to voting such as the dominion voting machines but they're not the only ones uh any kind of machine that is going to you know be out there using the internet for its connection to mm -hmm. the county you know the the uh, board of elections servers and stuff like that whatever it is yeah it's going to be open to some kind of manipulation and the more technology there is behind it the easier it can be manipulated without anybody being able to say here's how you manipulated it right uh all the the number spikes that we see and are very obvious to us right now can be hidden better as as we get better at cheating right you know right. they can be turned and, into and that's a reality things and not spikes and you know, on top of that, who cares anyway? We see what the Republican senators did. Very few of them really gave any kind of effort in this to fight for our rights. No, exactly. So if, well, if you, we you know though, elect a bunch of Mitch McConnells, who the heck cares? Then we're back yeah, to why, where why, we were. Why bother to vote for for Mitch McConnell versus a a Nancy Pelosi? Right? I mean, they're going to they're going to work together. Yeah. Um, 
especially when it comes to uh, protecting the entitled establishment. And in the past, uh, they put on such a good show that most people were fooled by it. Again, I and I've talked about it before, I stopped being fooled by it a long time ago, and I, I almost kind of stopped paying attention to politics altogether. And you have to admit that even you thought they were a lot less important than everybody else thought they were because of the the handshaking going on between the Democrats and the Republicans. Oh, right, and, right, absolutely, yeah. You know, and it would... What we're seeing now is is uh, they're trying to create this one-party system, and we're at a point where it, it really is one party. We have to start recognizing that. The Republicans are not fighting for us. And even uh, Rush Limbaugh today is kind of on the verge of uh, getting behind another party, which is something yeah, I never I've thought seen... I'd hear him do. I, 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 yeah, he, he uh, he's, you know, and he's been a big uh, strategic thinker show, in that regard. Yeah. Right. In today's show, he said, okay, if there was ever time, if there was ever a time for a third party, now is it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's right, because I don't think it would be only Republicans going to this party. I think you know, the that's mega a good point. was full of Democrats. There, there were a lot of converted Democrats in the in the MAGA movement, especially Democrats who, you know, maybe they fully believed it, um, you know, all of the, the social programs and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they started experiencing under Trump was that if Trump did something that is praiseworthy in their worldview, they would go ahead and praise it because that's what normal people do. Yeah. And then they would suddenly be ostracized by family and friends and, and canceled and so on and so forth. And there's, wait a minute, what is this? Right. You can't even, you know, say that the guy did a good thing when he did a good thing. And, and, and that's where this, um, you know, they started really experiencing being on the receiving end of this Trump derangement syndrome. That's a real thing. And I think it still exists, even though Trump's no longer in the white house. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I worry about the man's safety. I think we got a lot of convert, converts sort of that way not religious converts but people who said wait a minute this right. this party that i've been supporting all this time and this this so-called you know liberal progressive movement that i've been part of all this time they're not who they look like they are they're not who they have been claiming to be trump converted more minorities than any other republican mm-hmm. and yeah yeah I, I think that's going to his continue campaign. because now with them I've heard this before, and I've always laughed at it. People would say, now that the Democrats are in power, they're going to screw up so badly that people won't be able to deny it. And, uh, hey, Obama did that. Look how bad things got. And yet oh, still gosh. people deny Obama it. Obama was the worst president ever. And there are still people who, yeah, who say he was a good president. Yeah, so I don't think that's normally the case, except that, there's going to be such a sharp uh, difference. It'll be a sharp here. inflection. Yeah, there's, I, I there's going to be a Trump's economy a even turn. even with the COVID bounced back incredibly well, and now they're saying, well, okay, Biden's goal is to get 
get the pre-COVID economy back, which he's not going to be able to do because he's stupid. It's, and yeah. Democrats and he are wants stupid. to manage everything and top down. They've already stopped the uh, the pipeline that Trump got going and a couple mm-hmm. other things. The Paris Accord. I mean, within the first few hours, that's what he's done already. He's screwed yeah. the American people already. So, okay, they're not going to get the economy back. And and he's screwed the American people over. But, you know, uh, people like Clinton, they... Okay, Clinton did a couple things that made it look like the economy was great. Um, he pulled some double talk about the uh, the national... Uh, can't think of the word. Not debt. Oh, it's it's not that. It's deficit. Um, the deficit, right? So yeah. So the so, deficit is the annual spending versus taxes. Yeah. Basically. And they and so, and and yeah, there is there is a lot of room to to create double talk there because what you have is there are spending programs. There are aspects of spending that are simply renewed every day in law or not every day, every year in law. And then there's additional spending the, that is discretionary on top of that. And so when they look at the deficit, um, they're looking at this discretionary spending, not necessarily including the spending that's going to be there anyway. The, the uh, I forget what they call it, but it's a baseline yeah. spending. And so it's only this differential against the the baseline spending that they're looking at, and then they compare that with the expected tax revenues, and they'll say, "Oh, there's a surplus. There's going to be a surplus, or whatever." Yeah. yeah they, there's all kinds of ways that they can play with those numbers. That people who uh, and and I, it's not like I understand the internals of it, but I know enough to know that people who don't understand the internals of it can never uncover exactly what a politician means when he says right. something about the spending deficit or surplus and not or only even that, the national debt. He uh, he also arranged for banks to give out millions of dollars of loans to people who could not pay them back. Right. So everything Which caused went a lot up. of people to go out and buy houses, which yeah. made it look like there was this incredible, you know, new growth in, in new housing projects, which is one index of the economy. Hey, it must be that the economy's doing great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, only because you're setting it up for a big crash. Yeah. And George W. Which Bush happened. inherited that. Yeah. Yeah. And so exactly. it looks like Clinton had a great economy and Bush had a recession, which he did bounce back pretty well from. But... Mm-hmm. uh Trump, Trump's economy has given Biden a lot of room, you know, to That's screw up. Because Trump's economy was based on productivity, not just playing phony right. games with with numbers. So Trump Biden can screw America's... up pretty good without, I guess, without certain people really being able to see the screw up. But he's still going to screw it up. It's everything that should be up is going to go down, and everything down is going to go up. So well, not just economically either. Right. I mean, let's face it, under Biden we're going to see a resurgence of of groups like ISIS. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have another 9/11 under Biden. Yeah. Um and I mean, are 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 people going to say he's a great president then? Well, that's another They'll probably okay, blame it on Trump. That opens another Yeah, they will. Uh that opens another doorway. I mean, we've been talking politically where we are, but culturally we're i don't 
on the one hand, we're not much better there either. I mean, the look, you go to the grocery store and everybody's wearing a mask. Nobody is defying this this weird world, twilight zone world where they tell you uh, you're spreading disease even though you don't have a disease and things like that. Yeah. Nobody's fighting it. Culturally, we're in a bad spot. This this is one of the biggest uh, Emperor's New Clothes phenomena aspects uh, of the modern, you know, right. modern America, and, and I guess the modern world. But yeah, it's but going it's on. Like, all okay, over come the world. on, use your common sense and don't throw your common sense out the window just because uh, a bunch of uh, people who who you think ought to know better have told you this is the way it should be. And if if it was, it, it, it's even more than common sense. I mean, it's we've got scientific studies showing that this is nonsense. You don't have to do this. We don't have right. to close schools, restaurants, or bars, but people are doing it anyway, and, uh, and some people are we've just got, happy to. You know what's the what's the the uh, the grounding basis for all of this stuff? What do they say? Why do they say they want to do it? Oh well, we got to do it in order to save lives. Well not only scientific studies, we've got plenty of economic studies already in place demonstrating that the lives lost because of the economic downturn are far greater than the highest projections of lives lost from COVID right. uh, would have been if it had been not even handled. Yeah. I mean, like my, my father-in-law went in the hospital this week Um because of breathing problems and mm -hmm. uh his breathing got worse while he was in there and my mother-in-law said well he needs his breathing treatments he gets four a day he has to have yeah. those he won't breathe if he doesn't have them they said no we can't give him those because it might spread covid so until he tests Seriously? negative for covid he can't have his breathing treatments that's got to be okay, the dumbest thing i've ever heard we're gonna let him die so that he doesn't yeah. spread COVID. Right. Um, He's I, in a I, hospital. I guess that's, my gosh. I yeah. The the insanity has it's got to end somewhere. You would think. I but... you know I think of it like 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 there's some aspect of culture of of human nature of of human society. At some point, there's got to be a a end. A, a terminus to to the stupidity where I, people say oh wait yeah. we've gone too far and turn around i, I guess not though you know i mean cultures the, just kind of go out of existence don't they yeah well the fact is it we're not there yet because people are still walking around with masks on or like riding bicycles or driving their cars with a oh, mask gosh, on yeah. while they're alone people and it's alone outside in their car on a bike whatever and they're they're wearing a mask yeah, and I, I think, you know, okay, look, our teenagers have gotten to the point where they live through their screens, and I think they're not, they're okay with hiding their faces because they've been hiding their faces for a long time. They don't expose their faces anyway. That's true. That's and true. I think this is, I think these two things kind of correlate somehow. The fact that we've, as a culture, we've been living through our screens, and now we're hiding more of ourselves, and we're happy to do it because I, I guess we just aren't comfortable with 
ourselves and with other people. You know, that must be it. it it's like... Um... It's like somebody who spent all his life in a cave and then he meets other people and it's like he's not going to know how to react. It, right. You know, it, it's, it's and it makes of, you feel uncomfortable or something. I don't... It's kind of the uh, um, the the caricature of uh, computer um, science engineers to tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but, you know, the thing is culturally we are in a bad spot. And and then spiritually, you know, I, on the one yeah, hand... Culturally, I would say that the, the right description culturally is that we're gilded. You know, we, we've got, we've especially, it's, it's, it's disappointing in the rest of the world. I, I guess it's sad in the rest of the world, but it's especially disappointing in the United States because having yeah. that, you know, we're going to do what needs to be done and what ought to be done regardless of what anybody else tells us they want us to do. That's a distinctly American trait. Right. And we've given that up. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've handed over our, our, our American manliness, so to speak, as a culture uh, to, to join the, the rest of the world's effeminacy. Right. And Yeah, it's a shame. And, and that is where we are. And that leads into the... Uh, the fact that so many uh, Christians and Catholics are willing to say, okay, we won't go to church. And, yeah, I mean, we've become a lazy group of people. I mean, we, I guess this, this leads into the discussion of how did we get here? Because, and I, I think especially Christians have gotten so comfortable with the fact that you don't have to fight to be a Christian. Oh yeah, yeah. And we've forgotten that that you know we here on Earth are we're supposed to think of ourselves as the church militant. Yeah, and and we haven't been militant. We've been. It, it's it's gotten to the where most people <laughs> the church we've been the never church fast. acquiescent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's a whole other thing. The fact that we have. Uh, bishops who are not leading us and a pope who uh, is I don't know what he's doing he's, he's like leading us to to the wrong direction uh, yeah I do not get this pope you know I, I but but yeah the American bishops especially I um, you know it's like are are they happy now that their guy is in the White House and he's you know his his top agenda is to you know, boost abortions. It's like, that's one of the first things he says he's going to do. Yeah. He's going to roll back all of the, the pro-life executive um, decisions that Trump has in place. Yeah. It's like, and okay, I mean, bishops, there you go. How, you know, how do you, what do you say to God when he asks you about those babies' lives? I, I would really like to know what American bishops are, are thinking about that question now. Cause they, they need to be thinking about that. If they're not thinking right. about it, then they ought to just get out of the church. They're just posers. They're not even, they're not even, uh, taking their job seriously, their their vocation seriously, if this yeah. doesn't bother them. Well, and then there's the fact that it, as a people, as a Catholic people, uh, how many people do you think fast every year? Not not a very large percentage. No, I, and no, I'm you, talking you, about you on the fast necessary every days. Year. You talk about like just for Friday just and for... Wednesday, Good Friday okay. and Ash Wednesday. Those just are the only the two days we have to mandatory fast. mandatory days. 
Yeah. And most people don't even do that. Now when you get to things like doing something extra, like abstaining on Friday, most people don't even know they're supposed to, let alone yeah. do it. Right, right. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, I got a sideline here and say that's how you know when you've, you know, crossed the line into getting old. So the, the fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, um, it used to be, okay, I'm going to fast all day. And then guess what? At midnight, oh man, I'm going to go get, you know, yeah. three kinds of food that I was just waiting for. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I fast all day. And at midnight, it's like, I'm even too tired I'm to too go tired. make it now. It's late. I'm going to bed. To bed. <laughs> I'll eat, I'll eat in, in the morning. morning. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, that's, that's, and, and that, that brings up a good point is, is that I think the spiritual state of the United States and especially Catholics in the United States, because Catholics are in the unique position to be able to, to, uh, court favor with God through the mass. Protestants right. can't do that. Only Catholics can do that. The Catholic Mass is the one unique act uh, by which we can call the graces of God in abundance upon us as a society. And the fact that we're in this position shows how deplorably we have not been making use of that on behalf of the rest of our nation. Right. Yeah. So it, it I mean... The fact that we're so weak is because we've been so weak. Yeah. And because we've relaxed and we don't fast enough, we don't pray enough. Now, I, I know there are people out there who's like, well, I fast every week and I say the rosary and I do this and that. And obviously I'm talking collectively. As a nation, we haven't yeah. been doing yeah. it. And, and, and not just as a nation broadly, but as a nation of Catholics, as a collection of Catholics within the nation, as American right. Catholics, we have not been doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it used to be that you would see a big family and you assumed they were Catholic. Now you see a big family, you assume they're on welfare. That's sad. <laughs> you know, it is. It is sad. Um, I, I was reading uh, those letters that, that I have that well, I don't have them anymore. Dad has them now. But uh, those letters that Kathy found that Dad had written to Aunt Berta, yeah. um, who, for anybody who hasn't listened to some of her old podcasts, she passed away recently. She's actually our our Dad's aunt. And anyway, he was in the Navy, and he's writing these letters. And in one of them, I, he he said, "I saw a nice sign on the way to Chow," um, and and the letter uh, dated. He never. It's kind of weird. He never put actual dates on his letter he would just put like thursday 1957 or something huh. like that i guess he wrote often <laughs> but, enough to where yeah but this one was like on a um i think it was maybe like on a friday um it, it was i i am almost positive it was one of the ember days which which the old church used to have ember days there were i think like four feasts a year that ember days were tied to and on the octave of the ember day you were supposed to fast or something like that. I, I, yeah. I don't know what the whole, you know, liturgical makeup was. I would like to relearn that and maybe even start living it myself. But anyway, I think it was one of those days. He said, I saw a nice sign on the way to Chow. Uh, they had a sign said, Catholics, this is a day of strict fasting. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm sure he was expecting to get some food, and it's like, ah, shoot, now I can't. Yeah, it's a day of fasting. Great, they remind. It's like those days uh, when we were young adults, teenagers, maybe when it's like uh, you would go through the day, and then toward the end of the day, right before say seven o'clock mass, mom would be like, "Did you get to mass? It's a day of obligation." You're like, "Dang it! If you hadn't have told me, I wouldn't have had to go." But yeah. now I got to go. Yeah. And yeah, if you didn't know it was a day of fasting, is, suddenly you do. And it's once like, upon ah. a time, it's, it's like, even, you know, even if you weren't Catholic, you knew that Catholics had to do something today. Right. We, we, you know, we, and if you were Catholic, of course you knew it because people yeah. talked about it. People lived the liturgical year together and we don't yeah. do that as Catholics anymore. And yeah. that. You know, you know. Aside from the spiritual, I want to I want to tie this back into the cultural that we were talking about because there's a um, I think a strong correlation between you know the the broad individual spiritual habits we have and the broad cultural practices we have as far as the kinds of things that you would consider you know consider virtues in a mm-hmm. worldly sense. Uh, you know, things like in, integrity and, and honesty and that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, hard work, you know, character. Exactly. And one of the things that Thomas Aquinas points out is that in a well-founded uh, republic, it's extremely unlikely that the republic is going to fall into a state of tyranny, which is what we're falling into, except it's a weird sort of tyranny that it's like a, you know, the tyranny isn't being necessarily imposed top down by one guy. It's more like a tyranny of a, uh, uh, more like an oligarchy, a bunch of, a bunch of people who yeah. have po- appointed themselves the arbiters of the right way of thinking are going to impose that on everybody else. But it's basically a tyranny. But he points out that it's extremely unlikely that a republic is going to fall into a tyranny when populace the citizens of that republic are generally virtuous people yeah and i think that's exactly true and i think that exactly plays into where we are now we for the last half century as a population have not been a virtuous people yeah that that brought us to where we are now it yeah and and so the the only the only thing here to do in response to this is reverse that, and which is extremely hard. To, you don't see societies getting more and more religious. No, not gradually. Once in I a mean, while, you see. I mean, you see instances in history where somebody comes along, and within a generation, seems to transform a society. Right. St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis. I mean, that's, you know, the example par excellence, I think. Uh, yeah. But there have been other examples. Um, and so, sure, there, there's it's possible that it, it can turn around. But the fact is, the transformation always comes through an initial impulse back towards God. Yeah. People never first figure out the virtue thing and then by being virtuous figure out the god thing the spiritual thing it's always god first yeah and so as as catholics if we care about our nation that's what we need to be about that's 
that's our path to bringing it back out and transforming it. Through prayer and fasting and uh, and uh, hopefully the well, sacraments, if there's or yeah. the if they're still there, it, um, yeah, that, right? To the extent can, that we can, the sacraments. I I know that there are those in government who would love to shut that down completely. Yeah, and I know that there are American bishops out there who would go right along with it uh, yeah. if such a plan were laid out. Um, it's disgusting that that's the case, but you, you can't think that that's not the case if you've been paying attention. Right. And through these, we could uh, become more holy and try to try to bring people into our crowd. Now, okay, well, let's. when Jesus was first crucified— he had thousands of disciples and stuff, but it was a it was a pretty limited group. And so the apostles went out and started preaching the gospel, and it did spread like wildfire. Yeah, it it was under persecution. And yeah, here's the thing. You know why it spread? I mean, okay, it spread because it, it was God's plan and God's providence and everything else. But in terms of human dynamics, one of the 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 big mechanisms that it spread was that people were willing to go to their death because of this thing that they believed and this thing that they had, this, this Eucharist that they had, they, they went to death because of right. the Holy Eucharist and the Holy mass. Other people witnessed that and said, wow, there's that somebody's be willing to, to go to death for that. I, I want to know more about that. And they went to death joyfully. Yeah. So, I, okay. So if, if we're saying, all right, that's, you know, we can use that as a model. But, well, what do we got to do? We got to say, no, we're not going to stop receiving the Holy Eucharist. We're not going to stop preaching the gospel. We're not going to stop trying to bring people to Jesus. And when the world persecutes us because of it, we're going to suffer that joyfully and continue preaching the gospel and continue bringing people to Jesus and to the Holy Mass and, and the Holy Eucharist. And yeah. then when we suffer and other people see our suffering and we're joyful about it, that's how we convert people. Okay, well, how many people are, are up for that? I, you know, Right, we're in a situation I, where most people... I'm not people looking forward to it. <laughs> ...are not even willing to get up on Sunday mornings uh, for their God mm -hmm. because they would rather sleep in. But what if, what if not only did you not get to sleep in, but you got put to death? Uh, I, right now, there'd be very few takers, I think. Right, right. And that's what has to change, but that... That comes about with usually a few people in the beginning uh, praying and fasting and living a holy life unashamedly and probably being persecuted for it, which is really, I think, our next direction. We're in this situation because, um, first of all, because not enough of us prayed and fasted. And second of all, uh, a lot of people did it in private and... Uh, I don't mean pray and fast in private. I mean, they weren't publicly Catholic. The Catholics that you see in church every week now are not publicly Catholic. They would never admit that they're Catholic. And mm -hmm. in situations where they might get fired or uh, get in some kind of trouble. and Or if they, they're, they're the good kinds of Catholics who say, uh, no, what you do is okay and what I do is okay. But we we have to start taking up space if if we're going to get our country back 
at the same time, as I've mentioned before, um, we do have to start learning how to do things under the radar, I think. For example, some yeah, kind that's, of barter system. I don't know. Uh, it, it, right, right. I mean, figuring out the, that that's one of the things is, is, is and I'm kind of trying to work out in my head and, and I'm writing notes down on paper and stuff about the different things that, that we need to figure out how to do that are going to matter. Um, I mean, there's obviously, you know, the, the whole communication aspect. Well, you know, what if we want to talk? There's, first of all, internal communication. We want to be able to talk to each other openly. Um, you know, what if more and more forces of technology, even assuming that the American, um, the American uh, government doesn't go wonky and start finding, uh, you know, reasons to exclude things we might say from First Amendment protections. Um, you, you've got all this this big tech censorship going on. Okay, yeah. well, how do we get around that and make it at the very least so that we can use technology to reach out to each other across distances and maintain a sense of community? Okay, that's one. Then there's, but that's not good enough. We also need to figure out how do we make ourselves a presence in the public square? Because it's not enough to just talk to each other about ourselves. Right. We still have a, a, a command to bring others to Christ. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to find ways to do that yeah. in a public square that the, um, the, the frameworks that the big tech are setting up and trying to replace the old public square um you know which were you know public festivals and and you know maybe flyers and that kind of stuff well now everybody wants to make it oh do a facebook thing this and a group that and so on and so forth uh well they're trying to shut that stuff down so we got to figure out how do we still make ourselves relevant in the public square and then there's the there's the whole political thing and the voting thing and 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 you know, we've talked about that a little, but I'm not going to bring that up, you know, my ideas here. But then there's the other one, commerce. We've got to still engage in commerce. And yeah. we've got a world that increasingly is going to say, oh, wait, you're the wrong kind of person. You don't think like I do. We don't want you doing commerce with us. And so you've got, you know, uh, people like uh, Mike Lindell of My, My Pillow being canceled from places like Kohl's. Just because yeah. he happens to uh, believe that there's persuasive evidence of election uh, tampering in this uh, 2020 election. Um, you know, this is the world we're going into. We've got to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. And I, I think even, okay, there are, these, look, these vaccines, I don't know what's going to happen now. I know that leading up to... Uh, Biden's inauguration, there was, well, leading up to the election, there was talk of these vaccines becoming mandatory um, and needing some kind of vaccine in order to uh, engage in commerce. And Mm -hmm. I guess right away, the first thing you start thinking of is the number of the beast. I don't necessarily think that. But if they make a vaccine that is produced from the cells of a murdered baby. And if, in order to engage in commerce, you have to have yeah, that vaccine, have that. that like, becomes okay, a big a problem. That's that's real problematic. 
Yeah. Now, I've I've done the research on, on that, and I know that there are some vaccines out there. Some of the vaccines out there are produced and developed from the cells of aborted babies. Two of them, the Pfizer and the Moderna, are not. Yeah, but I'm not even However, talking about COVID-19. Oh, just generally. I, I'm yeah, talking like, in like, general. Like the MMR, for example. I, I had no idea until basically it you know was past vaccinating my kids and stuff that the MMR right. might uh, and I don't know whether it's all versions of it or or just certain ones but but that one is is I think problematic in that way. Right. Yeah, I didn't either uh, until after Mandela. my kids had yeah. all been vaccinated. It's like, it's like wait and... a minute, why, you know. And here's the thing. Why haven't the shepherds of the church been talking about this stuff all along because if all the catholics of the world had been of a mind and and ready to lock arms with their bishops leading them and say no we reject this well companies would have come up with it a different way right it wouldn't be a thing yeah it's sad but the thing is people like uh bill gates this is part of his agenda and the the idea behind it being a number of the beast kind of gets a little bit more real. And so, as Catholics, we've got to find a way around this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the Bible I, I, talks I about people not being able to, to engage in commerce and that kind of stuff, you know, unless they accept the mark is, is how it puts it. Mm-hmm. Um which yeah, I mean, there may be some some thing at some point where well, that's that's how it is. You 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 want to walk into our store? You you got to show your your you know that you're medically cleared or something like that um, yeah. for whatever. It might not be COVID. It might be something else down the road a little bit. But but certainly, I can see how the whole if if you think of it, the COVID vaccination um, hysteria. The, the COVID hysteria, not just the vaccination, right. but the whole COVID hysteria might be a bit of a test run. And I'm not talking about some, you know, world cabal sitting in their, you know, high towers, working out plans on chessboards and stuff like that. I'm talking about the mind of Satan. OK, I'm talking about, about demonic forces that work in the world. Right. This whole COVID uh, hysteria might be a test run in a lead up in a a enculturation for people for the next time around which yeah. it might really be the kind of problematic thing and it might in fact what let, let's say it's not aborted babies you know from 40 years ago or however many years ago and cell lines that have just been kept alive let's say it's oh you know what we've we've found a vaccine but in order to produce it we've got to find this kind of person with this certain genetic marker and we're going to have to sacrifice them. We'll, we'll give them some drugs and cause them to die um, a a peaceful death. And then we've got to use their blood or whatever in order to produce the vaccine. What if it's something like that? You know, yeah. I, f- I fear that if if that kind of thing happened today, there's probably at least 10% of the population that would say, well, yeah, it's unfortunate that they have to die, but they have to because the rest of us need it. Now, 20 years down the road, is it only going to be 10%? Well, <laughs> The yeah, way things are going, no. The thing is, it's going to be a lot uh, more. 10% might go along with it, but I, I fear that 
almost 50% would never oh, would do acquiesce. anything to try to stop it. Yeah, they would say, well, okay, yeah, it's unfortunate, and I'm really, really against it, but gosh, I have to shop, so I guess I'll have to get my card, and they go along with it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've. I think we've talked about Sodom and Gomorrah at one point, and God was saying, okay, if there's one good man in all of this, then I won't destroy the city. And it wasn't so much... He got to 10? Okay. So it wasn't so much that that every man in the city was trying to rape these angels. It was that nobody was trying to stop them. And we're getting close to that point here in America. Nobody's trying to stop the madness. Um, And it's even worse than raping angels. It's killing babies. And not many people are... The angels didn't even come into it until after God talked to, to Abraham and then went and, and, and he sent the angels to get Lot out. The city had been, this the sins of the city had been crying out to God even oh. before the angels got there. Okay, so the angels weren't there to look for ten good men. No, the angels were there to get Lot out. The the God said, okay. you know, God... He said, "I'll send my angels in," but it's it's it, it's like, well, they knew that you know there there weren't. In fact, there were. It was it's kind of funny. It, it turned out that it was like right up to under ten. There was Lot, his wife. I think he had three daughters. Yeah, and they each had a fiance. Uh, basically, I I don't think there was a concept of, of a fiance. They were basically husbands. But yeah. they hadn't taken the daughters into their homes yet, or something like that. Okay. So that was like eight. Eight people is what it came up to that were considered just. And it turned out to be seven because uh, his wife. Uh... Well, she was just, but she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. But actually, do you know that the sons, the the uh, husbands of the daughters, so the sons-in-law, they didn't even go out. They they couldn't get them to go with them. So he just left with his wife and his daughters. I did not know that. I'm, I'm doing this Bible in a year thing. Uh-huh. And so... And uh, we'll have to talk about this. There was, you know, I'm reading this stuff like for real and not just in a child religious textbook kind of storybook yeah. manner. There is stuff that is just like, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. that this I never knew this was here. Yeah. And, you know, the stuff is so crazy that it has to be historically accurate, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, that's, that's, you've got in Sodom and, and Gomorrah, not even 10 good people was basically Lot and his family, but you're right. It wasn't necessarily that everybody was acting, you know, in this evil way, but nobody was just enough to say, no, you can't do this. When the people stormed Lot's house, I mean, you know, Lot was, Lot even said, here, take my daughters and and do with them what you will. Uh, but not a single man of the town was willing to say, "Hey, wait, guys, these are holy men. We sh- we should lay off." You know, you ever we think of do how this. Lot's daughters felt after that? I know he, it's like they it's walk like, out really, with it, and then what? <laughs> really, Dad? <laughs> Come okay. on, Dad, you were going to do that? Wow, <laughs> I'd have been pretty po'd about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, women women were thought of a little bit differently back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, although, you know, so. that you still see hints of, uh, like, for example, when, when, uh, the, uh, 
what was his name? Sekum or whatever his name was, um, that uh, seduced um, uh, Jacob's daughter, Israel's daughter, uh, Dinah, and like all the brothers, because she had been defiled, they all got together and, and basically murdered everybody in the town. Well, okay. So, I mean, they, they did, you know, consider, you know, they, they, they held, there was some consideration of, of women, but, but I guess, you know, I guess Lot, it it wasn't so much. that really brought that out though. It was, but I think the seeds were there in Judaism even. And I think on, in Lot's defense, it wasn't that he didn't think of his daughters as valuable. It's just that, uh, being Abraham's nephew, um, you know, Abraham talked with God, and I think Lot had this sense of of what it meant for these holy men, these angels, you know, messengers of the Lord, um, to be in his household and under his protection, and he thought of that aspect of it so highly and so seriously that he didn't have any other option but to say, you know, but to, to try to go that way to, to protect them. So I, I think that's really what it was. Yeah. Plus he knew they were all gay and they weren't going to go after his daughters anyway. <laughs> Which they did. Maybe. <laughs> right. Um, uh, po- so anyway, know, yeah, in America, that's, you know. Look, I, I, I think the one thing we should not do is, or I hope we don't do, is fall back into the, the, the us, them, us versus them routine with Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. It should never again. And that's one of the things I'm I'm really hoping. I really hope that this is, this is one of the legacies of Trump that he ended the Republican versus Democrat dichotomy as it now stands, because it, it, it it was a facade. It was a, a a mirage. Yeah. And, 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 I didn't even know how uh I didn't know how deep that went. I I I always thought it was there uh from reading people like Chesterton. Mhm. Whoop. My microphone fell. Try that again. Uh who who described, you know, the political games that are being played as uh as a football game. Um but I I didn't realize how deep that went. Mhm. Yeah. And Trump really brought that out. You know who and, was pointing that out before, um, long before Trump came onto the scene, of course. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember or even knew of a guy named Joseph Sobran. I've heard the name, but I don't know who he is. Okay. He was a, he was a, um, he actually wrote for the National Review for a while. He was someone who, looked at the interplay between the Democrats and Republicans. And he pointed out that, look guys, if either one of you actually believed everything that you say in your platform, and you believed that the other believed everything they say in their platform, you would not treat politics as, and, and he didn't use the analogy, but like Chesterton as a sports game where, you play your best, you you play for the joy of playing, and whoever happens to win the game, you go all go out and, and you know, shake each other's hands afterwards yeah. and so forth. If you really believe what's in your platform and they really believe what's in their platform, you would 
seriously believed that for them to be in power would be the ruination of America and vice versa. Right. Um, and it's the, the lack Democrats of that. Behave. Well, see, that's, that's exactly the point. Democrats really behave that way towards Republicans, and Republicans have always refused to behave that way towards Democrats. I guess maybe that's what's really happening here is that the Republican Party has been kind of swallowed up and there really isn't a Republican Party anymore. There's just a bunch of that's what uh, I think. husks and, that's and what empty I think. talking heads, puppets. I Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know, the, the, the um, I mean, it used to be, roughly speaking, that the Democrats were old money um, and you know, old money tends to be associated with land. And so they yeah. also were the Southern plantation owners. They were the, the slave owners and so on and so forth. And the Republican party, the, the conservatives, the more, you know, party were more associated with new money. Well, new money, how do you get new money? Well, that's through industry. That's through business. That's through building factories and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so there was this kind of strong alliance of Democrat agricultural slave culture, Republican business industrial and so forth. But I think what really happened is that over the course of a few generations, the Democrats never changed, but as money consolidated through various machinations of law that allowed, um, you know, they, they created barriers to entry of certain industries um, yeah. through, you know, some sham antitrust laws and stuff like that. The conservative Republicans became fundamentally old money. Yeah. And so now they treat their state in life as an entitlement and as a birthright every bit as much as the Democrats have always done. And I think that's really what happened. And that's why it's not so much that the Democrats and Republicans always just get along. It's more that the Republicans have, have kind of maintained their, um, their uh, facade of their platform being conservative. But in reality, they've gone and joined the Democrats as the entitlement establishment. Yeah. So as voters now, we don't really have a choice. Yeah, There's no it's one to a, vote okay. For. You do you want to vote for a you know fundamentally this a, bad guy a, a or socialist? that bad guy? Yeah, you want to vote for the bad guy who tells you what he's about, or the bad guy who pretends he's about something else? Right. The first one is and, the Democrat. The second one is the Republican. So I don't I don't think we really have a direction at this point politically. Um, no, our vote obviously doesn't matter at this point, and I. I I think culturally if, we have to be there first. Yeah, yeah, we, we have to. We can't give ground on this. We have to take ground, not give ground, even if it's painful. Right. I mean, two weeks ago I was trying to think of ways we could hide our uh, ourselves in this culture and still exist. And uh, I went, I stopped at the store, and I put my mask on, and I'm walking around, and, um, you know, it was the first time in a while that I'd gone into a store without getting the stinky eye from people for not mm -hmm. having a mask. And I thought, oh, it's a lot easier to do this. And I thought, well, wait a minute. What? That's kind yeah. of what they want. <laughs> that's what that's that's the point, isn't it? Exactly. So going underground and disappearing, that's that was that's in Satan's plans. Put it that way. 
Right. That's not right. what we should do. We can't do that. And, uh, you know, Father, I don't know his name, but uh, the homily this last week um, talked about the uh, the Holy Family and the fact that, you know, look, it was hard. She's pregnant and he suddenly gets a call. You got to go to Bethlehem to be counted because the government says you got to go to Bethlehem. All right. So he yeah. goes to Bethlehem. So he did that. And, and then uh... <laughs> within a year there, he's being told that. Now you got to flee to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. A whole army is after your baby just to kill him. And uh, I guess what he what he ended up saying is there's no room for fear here. You. Mm. Yeah. You have to rely on God and and God's plans might uh might be martyrdom. Yeah. But even as a martyr, but you know what? The, if you live no if you're living fear. right, if you're living close to God, if you're if you're doing the penances and he calls you to martyrdom, well, on the other side of that, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. That's it that's, that's the thing. I don't I think that's something that our church leadership has lost the sense of. Oh sure, yeah. That that this this life we live is tiny. Whether it's joy or suffering, whatever joy we have is tiny compared to the joy that we might have in heaven uh, if if we get there. And the suffering we have in this world is tiny compared to the suffering that we're going to experience if we don't get to heaven. It's I'll... this world is this life is tiny. And and it and death is our entry into the real thing, but which way we enter depends on how we live this life. I'll uh, draw an analogy here uh, with addiction, and and it doesn't matter what kind of substance, but let's just say heroin. To a mm-hmm. heroin user, not having heroin is the end of the world. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Is you wake up tomorrow and you're unable to come up with your hit. Um, and you, you'd practically be willing to die to not have that. You, it's absolutely a necessary part of your life. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Once you go through the pain of withdrawal, when you get to a point where life is so much better because you no longer need it, and you realize, well, I don't have anything to fear anymore. And when... When we uh, when we practice virtue and we obtain holiness, then the idea of being martyred is not so fearful. Yeah, and it's I got a lot of work to do on that because yeah, so do I. I don't, I don't mind the concept but, of death. Like if somebody said, "I'm gonna if you don't convert, I'm gonna kill you with carbon monoxide poisoning," I'd be like, "Well, yeah. okay, no big deal." But right. man, I am really afraid of pain. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I, I I am too. That's why we have to uh, we have to practice with things like fasting and yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's what it's all for. It's part of it. So uh, start practicing, people. And you know what? If we're going to talk about what we do going forward, I would call on every Catholic. Actually, I'd call on every Christian, but but Catholics especially, like I said, because we have the Mass. Uh, and, and when we make acts of sacrifice, we're uniting them through the Mass with the cross. And I don't think Protestants have that, that same sense of it. Right. 
but I would call on every Catholic to I got to step away from the microphone for a minute to make this a year of reparation for the fact that we've put Biden in the White House. I mean, I, I yeah, we should pray for Biden. We should pray for the conversion of Biden and all those other things. We should pray for healing for our country. Well, healing's got to start with, first of all, uh, for example, recognizing that we can't keep slaughtering babies in the womb. Okay. But the fact that we put a Biden in the White House itself is a horrendous evil act on the part of our nation communally. We should all take it on ourselves to pick some kind of suffering that we're going to sustain for the year, maybe the whole four years, I don't know, but at least a year, and say, I'm going to make this an act of reparation on behalf of my nation for putting this evil man in the White House. I I think that's something. In fact, the bishops, the sellout bishops who, who practically wanted him in the White House, if they were really about being leaders of the church, they would be calling on Catholics to do that. Because you know what? In America, you're still allowed to do that. Uh, let me shut this door. Okay. Sorry, folks. Reparation for Biden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, I would I would specifically point out the fact that, I mean, look, it's not like I can point the finger at anyone, but I know that there are a lot of Trump supporters who were gung-ho about uh, supporting Trump Mm-hmm. But didn't have a Trump sign in their yard. Oh, okay, yeah. And I'll, I I'll, hate to point this I'll out. This up. is your fault. I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people who would not talk about Trump to their kids because they don't want to miss their grandchildren. I mean, this mm-hmm. stuff happened a lot. And it's like you know, I I hate to point this out, but this is why we're in this position because yeah, people were because... afraid afraid to to speak their minds and so it's time to both speak your mind and like you said do some kind of reparation reparation. because we did let this happen yep and now bishops of course well i'm gonna suggest another thing i'm gonna suggest so this year from january uh, from december 8th 2020 to december 8th 2021 is the year of saint joseph and as part of the year of St. Joseph, um, the Pope has established a number of different opportunities for indulgences, plenary indulgences. So this is a, oh, yeah? a full release from purgatory. Pope Francis yeah. did? Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, and even if he's, you know, on a lot of things, he's you know, like, like, you know, wacko wrong. Even if he's apostate, it, it seems... Often, in terms of, of some of his beliefs, the, the Abu Dhabi statement and all that kind of weird stuff, he's still the Pope and he has the authority to grant these indulgences. Yes, he does. So here's what I would say. Here's what I would recommend to Catholics. Um, take advantage of these. Find a few opportunities throughout the year. Uh, get the plenary indulgence and apply it to somebody you know, do some research, apply it to somebody significant um, who maybe you know has converted, but but maybe converted from a 
you know, a, a life where there may be a lot of purgatory time for them. The example yeah. I keep thinking of is Bernard Nathanson. He was the abortionist who did the silent scream movie and performing that ultrasound movie completely converted him against abortion. And eventually he converted to the Catholic faith. Yeah. Has any, has anybody done an indulgence and applied that to him? I think that would be a great thing to do now. He's still so alive. You, no, he died. Okay. That's why I'm thinking he, you know, it, for all these abortions he performed, who knows how much time he's going to spend in purgatory, Right. but you can get him out by applying an indulgence to him. And then so, uh, just uh, allow God to apply it to someone else if he's or, out. Yeah, if he's out, God can apply it to someone else. Or you could do things like, I'm going to apply this indulgence to the person who is, you know, the deepest in purgatory, if you want to think of it that way. Uh-huh. However you do it. But get these indulgences and don't apply them to yourself. I mean, of course, you know, apply some to yourself. Um, to, I mean, yeah. we all sin. We all need them. But... Apply them to people that are in purgatory and then as not a condition, but as a consideration, as a request, put with it, okay, now you, whoever has received this indulgence from me, I ask you now in heaven with God to pray for our country. Yeah. Do that. That's a good plan. I think there is a wealth. We should... Uh, the next show, we should list off. Oh some yeah, of these kind of list list the that go through them get. and remind um, people of what how to, how what you need to do to receive an indulgence. Yeah, you there are conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll do that next show. So yeah, I mean, between we've got the mass, we've got these you know indulgences, we've got our own reparations that we can unite with the cross. I think there is a a spiritual wealth, um, and I know that there are. There are some Catholics, a few of them, that are already, you know, doing this stuff. Yeah. But uh, at least in terms of their own personal sacrifice. But I don't know how many have thought of the whole indulgence thing and then saying, hey, I'm going to do this for you. And if it's God's if it's God's will, you know, ask him to save our country. Right. Because it would be a nice country to save. Yeah, absolutely. It's so unique. And mm-hmm. it's a shame if it ends here. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that was the other thing is that there were so many, there were so many people who thought that Trump was going to save everything, but all they had to do was just vote for him. And oh, as much damage has been done, the, the fact that we've killed so many millions of babies, mm-hmm. it's not going to, we're not going to get off that easy. No, we don't just no. get to cast a few votes and then that's what saves the country. It's going to take right. a lot more than that, and a lot of people are going to have to do something, not just vote. And you don't get to hide, and there's a lot of things you don't get to do. And I think, I think hopefully, a lot of people will start to understand that. Right. With this election, yeah, I think so too. It, it's going to take more than just voting. Uh, we got work to do, and it's time to roll up our sleeves and do it. Yeah, and you know that that kind of feeds into the whole reparation message, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. we've got reparation to do. We have to it's kind yeah. of it's kind of weird because you know, the Americans who most value our unique American character are also the ones who are most likely to understand 
the need for the humility to say, okay, we've sinned by letting this happen in our country. We've got to make reparations for it in order to become, you know, great again. You know, Abraham Lincoln's uh, second inaugural speech, he talks about the... uh, he talks about the, the the number of the dead in the Civil War, and mm-hmm. he said that slavery is such a bad thing, The way, it, especially the way it was practiced in America, uh, to where human beings become machines that we uh, control, that it took all of that death to wash away the guilt from our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always think to myself, how much more is it going to take to wash to away wash the guilt away, of abortion? Oh gosh, that, that's true. If you if you if you believe his words, then how much more does that apply to abortion? Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. So I it's had, like I wrote we, down we, a quote here from we Abraham deserve a Lincoln civil war. that I wanted to <laughs> that I wanted to talk about. Is this it? Here it is. Um, I just, you know, when it comes to what's going to happen in the next, say, 10 years, Mm -hmm. I did want to pull up this quote by Abraham Lincoln. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think that applies now. We are committing suicide right now. Yeah. With this vote for socialism and uh, or not the vote for socialism, but allowing socialism to take over like this. Um, right. Right. We're committing it, a, a national suicide. And uh, that's what's happening. So we have to stop killing ourselves. And uh, as you said, we got to repent and we got to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I, I do want to. I want to offer some hope for the whole get to work thing. Um, If we go back to thinking culturally, uh, first of all, look at things. Let's look in the Catholic world. Um, What, you know, the United States is sort of a, a, it has drawn, let's say the uh, annoyance, the ire of Pope Francis. Why? Because of the traditional mass. We already know that he dislikes the traditional mass, and he does yeah. not understand why it's becoming increasingly popular. It's growing in popularity, especially in the United States. Yeah. Um, so we've got that going on, and I think we've got an increasing number of young people who are I, sort of like I always did. I, I kind of rebelled against the educational institutions and that rebellion made me conservative it's it's which is kind of weird because in the in the 50s that rebellion would have made me you know a hoodlum or whatever right um but (laughs) it made me conservative and i think that phenomenon is also happening yes it is and so we've got that going on and so even after 50 years of directed, um, directed intentional attempts by both uh, high schools and colleges to make themselves into factories of Marxism. I mean, that you know that these colleges have been 
deliberately attempting to do whatever they can to turn out Marxists. Right. And instead, even with all of that going on for 50 years, in 2016, as a nation, we elected Donald Trump to the the White House. And then in 2020, you know, he had massive support, you know, from the American population in spite of four years of the news media trying to disparage him and paint him as some kind of, I don't know, white supremacist or whatever. These facts should be heartening to us. These should give us hope. And then all of the things that are going on with big tech, and and even earlier than that, within college campuses, you had, you know, so-called speech codes. People would be reported for saying the wrong things. We had the thing where the guy in Google... Uh, internally wrote a memo and say, hey, guys, you know, the way you're approaching this in terms of diversity, maybe it's not the best way to do that. Simply for calling that into question, he was fired summarily. Um, and then now with the censoring from Facebook and Twitter and, and, and Instagram and all the other, you know, whatever social media sites there are, why should we take heart of this? Because these are the acts of desperation, these are the acts of somebody who is against the ropes and they know it. Yeah. So we should not look at this and despair ourselves. We should look in this and say, hey, we've got them on the run. Let's keep pressing the advantage. Let's get louder. Let's push ourselves more into the public square and let's keep pressing the message that this leftist liberal, you know, bullcrap that, that, has been shoved down so many people's throats for the last uh, 40, 50 years is exactly that. And yeah. you don't need it. And it's bad for you. So right. I, if, I, if, if we I were the minority, lot they wouldn't have to, to silence us. That's right. You exactly. don't silence the minority. You just you ignore don't... <laughs> them. <laughs> exactly. And they can't uh, ignore it, us. What's, what's the, uh, uh, I think it was, I think it was actually Mahatma Gandhi. Um, you know, in India, uh, who said, say, how did he say it? First, they ignore you. Then they ridicule you, ridicule you. Then they fight you. And then you win. Yeah. It's almost like what's going on here. Right. So I say, you know, take heart and keep pressing and get louder. And once again, I would point out how grateful we need to be to President Trump for bringing us together and aside from shedding a light on the serious problem that exists in America right now, Mm -hmm. he showed us that there is hope because we can find each other. There are others out there like us and we can gather and we can make noise. And it was Trump who did that for America because I think most Americans thought uh, for many years now that we were alone, that just... Me and a couple of my friends who think that way, and no one else thinks this way. But yeah, yeah, we Trump felt brought isolated. us all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he shed a light on the fact that you can actually accomplish something. It's right. not just that we he brought us together, so now we know we all existed. He brought us together, and by himself getting into the White House, showed us that we can be effective. You know. That's the other thing he did is that he showed how useless politicians are. That's true. That's so true. Everything that they said could not be done, he did. (laughs) Yeah. 
despite the fact that they all fought him every step of the way. Yeah, he was he was effective in in spite of being, you know, uh, opposed constantly. It's like okay, just think if we had Trump plus you know twenty five percent of twenty five percent of people like Trump in both houses of Congress, and yeah. even you know okay, and that's in terms of especially like foreign policy and that kind of stuff. Think of if our states all had, you know, people who thought like Trump and worked like Trump, politically speaking, in our various state governments and that kind of stuff. How awesome our states would be individually, every one of them. I think we would we have would a erase true poverty. Republic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only people who would be in, in true poverty would be the ones who, who gave themselves completely over to you know drug habits and stuff yeah but yeah yeah, absolutely and so we would be we would be exporting wealth to the world too and benefiting the rest of the world again yeah but that's not the case so it's not so we got a lot of work to do all right well uh how about current events we there are some other things yeah a little bit i mean most of it's the the trump stuff but i'm not going to talk about that i'm not not for current events. No, that's that's time to. Well, the yeah. thing is, I mean, we always meant this to be a, a Catholic, a Catholic podcast, and occasionally politics trickled into that. And um, we're in a time where... now that Trump's gone. I, I I'm not going to sit around and talk about Democrats. I'm just not going to do it. No, and no, about we're going to get back to Catholic things. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but. Current events is time to talk about some of the Current crazy events, things right. that... Uh, That's true. For example, mayor of New York, uh, Bill de Blasio, he says he's going to end all contracts with the Trump organization because of uh, Trump's incitement, um, which I think is kind of funny considering Trump moved to Florida last year, and I didn't know he had any contracts with... I didn't know New York City had any contracts with anyone anymore, considering the fact that it's empty. Everybody's moving out of it. <laughs> yeah. What does this guy think he's... These people are so full of themselves. And after they destroy things, they act like, oh, well, whatever. Uh, so the Vatican museums have... Uh, they're going to stay shut down for a while because of COVID-19 and Italy law. Which I don't understand why they're paying attention to it, Italian lawmakers, but yeah, they don't. Uh, I don't think. I thought the Vatican, uh, because the Vatican has their own ambassadors and everything. I don't. I didn't think they were uh, subject. Well, to Well, maybe Italian it's law. not the law. Maybe they just think uh, COVID is too big in Italy, and so they're going to stay shut down. I don't know, but hmm. either way, they're going to stay shut down for a while. <clears throat> I was hoping all this would end um, with Biden. Because maybe they'll think, well, we've won now. We don't have to keep pushing this agenda. But, you know, I, I think we brought up before that this this gave a whole bunch of people a taste of the kind of power they could have. And they're using it now. And they're enjoying it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, these governors and mayors and stuff like that. So they're, I, th- I guess they're going to maintain control for a little while and keep pushing and pushing. Uh, the atomic energy... The International Atomic Energy Agency uh, says that Iran is uh, 
now has enough enriched uranium to make a nuclear weapon. Okay. So, well, and so we've got Iran with enough uranium for nukes and Biden in the White House. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I don't see. I never knew. Does Iran want a nuclear weapon to use or to to use as a weapon or to use as a bargaining chip? You know, I think both. I think their their intention is to I think they're going to end up producing nukes and then they're going to say, you know, they're going to use it in the weapon as a weapon in the same sense that US and Russia used them as weapons during the Cold War. It's yeah. not as a bargaining chip in the sense that okay, we'll give up our nukes if it's more a okay, now we've got nukes, what are you going to do? You got to take us seriously now. Um and we want to be a major voice in Middle East uh, affairs. Right. Yeah. So I guess, I get, you know, I mean, you had said from way back when, if Biden gets in, we're going to see groups like ISIS starting up again. And uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see and pray. Mm-hmm. Um, eight, let's see, eight officials are charged, along with former Governor Rick Snyder, for their roles in the Flint water crisis. Do did you know much about the Flint, Michigan water thing? Uh, just a little Did bit. Did you pay I, attention I, to it? I remember looking it up to see what it was all about at one time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the uh, the people who should have been monitoring water quality and that kind of stuff, um, I think were fudging reports or buying off officials or something like that. It, it really was bad quality and bad water. Um, mm. So it was a real thing. Um but, you know, it happened in Michigan, which... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michigan is... Uh, I don't know. I See, places like that is kind of... You would think socialists would say... You could point and say, see, this is what social... This is the kind of thing that happens in socialism. Oh, um, it happens like... It's... Like massively... I, The the, the kind of stuff that happened in Flint, Michigan, was constantly happening in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, Well, heck, Chernobyl. Look at Chernobyl, for example. (laughs) Um, So, I don't don't know. Well, some of them are going to, I guess, they're being charged. I don't know if they're going to go to jail or just uh, have to pay some Mm -hmm. money. But they're... uh, some of them are charged with involuntary manslaughter because mm-hmm. of nine people who died from Legionnaire's disease. Oh, so, okay. I don't know. So, yeah, we'll see that, what happens. that could become serious for them. I don't think these people ever go to jail. But uh, there's a caravan of at least 6,000 Honduran mi- migrants, uh, immigrants, uh, bound for the U.S. And uh, the, the we're trying to stop them, apparently. And then Guatemalan re, uh, police reported that around 4,000 uh, were held up at Guatemala. And I guess they're trying to disperse them, but I think these caravans are starting up again and they're going to continue and that's going to be the thing again, you know? Trump stopped hmm. it for a while and mm-hmm. here we go again. Yeah, now... Uh... But you know... Give us enough years under Democrat rule and the caravans will be in the opposite direction because nobody will want to live in the United States. Yeah, I know. Well, I think we got a while to go before that happens, though. Yeah, we we, we 
we have a lot of um, reserve uh, in terms of American goodness. Yeah, uh, that's that's all I got. Okay, so what do you got? Uh, I've got a few things from the nation of uh, nonsense, um, and I've, I, I'm going to apologize to everybody because I've been looking up this, these things online while we were uh, doing this podcast because I didn't have them lined up. Um, okay. Okay, hold on just a minute. i got to read this one. This is... We'll just, we'll just take a break. <clears throat> I think I have sniffed considerably less this time. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Dad gets an idea to gift everybody a, uh, a one of those DNA uh, things. Um, you know how you can send your DNA into you know places like like uh, Ancestry or or other things. Um, oh, okay. So he decided he was going to give her you know his family DNA test as a gift. Um, each person's or just. In his family, collectively. Yeah. So he give no okay. each person. He so he give him all the gifts. Oh, hey, wow. do your DNA. Send it in. Um, <laughs> so you see where this uh, is going. Yeah. Well, woman, uh, you know, McDonald family. So you're thinking, okay, Irish, and uh, she finds out she's seventy five percent Norwegian, and the rest is German, not British at all. So um, she logged in to see if she had any matches. She had an exact paternal match. Except it wasn't her dad. <laughs> wow. Uh, apparently he was an old family friend, someone whose genealogy Uh-oh. literally exudes privilege. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some billionaire. <laughs> no, really? Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to read the story real quick. Um, okay. Nope. Okay, that's it. Yeah, she she learned that her dad is really some billionaire. <laughs> Some billionaire. Well. Because her real dad, the dad who raised her, gave her a gift yeah. of a DNA kit. Yeah. Can you imagine that phone call? Hey, guess what? You're my I dad. Yeah. Give me some money. And I've got proof. <laughs> what about the mom? Is the mom still alive? Yep, yep. That would have been a nice conversation. I'm sure not. Hey. Guess what I found out. Although I get the impression that the mom and dad aren't together. Uh, yeah, so maybe they're, they're probably divorced. Maybe that and, was why. You know, it could yeah. be. <laughs> All right. So we got a uh, a car thief in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> he stole a car, found a baby in the back seat. So the mom was in the grocery store while you know doing some quick shopping, and he he jacked the car and got away with it. Four Where year was old this? Child, California. No, Oregon. Oregon. Four-year-old. Okay. Uh, yeah, in the back seat of the car. So he steals the car, and once he realizes that there's a baby in the back seat, he drives back to the shopping center to, to lay into the mom about leaving her kid in the back seat. Huh. <laughs> Threatens to call the police on her. So I wonder if she ended up calling the police on him. I know. That's weird. Jeez. That's kind of a, a wink and a nod there. It's like I broke the law and you broke the law. I guess we'll we'll just not talk about this. But somehow it ends up on the news, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody called the police. Somebody called the police. All right. So in um 
in New Jersey, uh, a conviction has been overturned. Um, man convicted of uh, uh, second-degree robbery, which inquire, requires use of force or threat of force. Now, here's the um, the thing that the the guy, if you look just at his actions, technically he cre- he committed third-degree robbery uh, or third-degree theft, but um, the prosecutors during the trial, you know, all he wait did was minute, hand wait him. Wait a minute. So Hold he on. he uh, he. Let, yeah. Go over these degrees of robbery first. Okay, I, so second I, degree requires the use of force or the threat of force. Okay. Third degree doesn't involve force or the threat of like force. Like shoplifting. Okay. Yeah, for example. So one at gunpoint and one is shoplifting maybe. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, apparently he, I, I don't know what he did, maybe handed over a note or something like that. He, let's see. Um it doesn't really even say what he robbed. No, it was a bank robbery. Okay. So he must have handed over a note or something like that. Um, you know, hey, you know, put the money. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. No threatening words were spoken to the bank teller. But okay. the prosecution got the conviction by showing that they wanted to show that you can be threatening with the context in your actions regardless of how you know what your words are yeah and so during the trial they played for the benefit of the jury the segment of the shining where jack nicholson chops through the door and he does the famous here's johnny scene here's johnny yeah (laughs) so that showing that scene to the jury convinced them that oh he must have really been threatening even though he didn't say anything threatening yeah and so they convicted him well the court has overturned that saying, no, that did not meet a burden of proof as of, of establishing threat. He did not have an axe and chop down a door and, <laughs> a say, door and, here's and say, here's Johnny. Uh, whatever he did say doesn't constitute the kind of threat that was implied there. <laughs> well, you know, okay, bank robberies have gotten more and more popular because um, they've discovered that they don't have to show anyone a gun. So a kid walks in uh, and says, give me your money. The teller has been instructed, and I, I think I think this ends up going back to insurance. Mm-hmm. The, the tellers are supposed to just give them money. And then after the person has left, then they're allowed to sound the alarm. They're not even allowed to sound the alarm until after the guy has left. So I walk in. I don't have to show anyone a gun. I don't even have to say I have a gun. I just have to insinuate that someone will you be hurt would like if I don't bank. get money. And huh. as long as the teller understands that, then according to Protocol most bank to go rules, yeah. they go along with it. But according to the law, I never had a weapon, so I can't just be charged with theft. any serious crimes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the... That's why bank robberies are so popular. Huh. I mean, I did not. They were getting that. robbed. I was seeing a story almost almost every other day in Cincinnati. Here, a bank was being robbed, and it was for that reason. So I think uh, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know where I where where my opinion is on that. I mean, if you go into a bank and insinuate you have a gun, or insinuate somebody's going to get hurt if they don't give you money, I don't know. Then again, maybe these bank maybe these banks should be 
uh, a little bit more hardcore about protecting their money. Maybe the federal government should say, look, we're not going to insure you for this money if this guy walks in and just says, give me your money, and he doesn't even have a gun. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, you need to start protecting our money. That's what needs to happen. They need to tell these tellers, look, if a guy doesn't have a gun, quit giving him money. Yeah. <laughs> At least make him show you <laughs> the goods yeah. before you give him the goods. I mean, but why would a bank, if, <laughs> make if it's federally insured, of doing harm? Right. And if it's insured and the bank is like, we're not going to lose anything if we give him the money, well, then they have no incentive to stop people from robbing banks. And it creates this huge problem. Yeah. But if the banks were like, well, no, that's our money and we're not going to give it to you, or then the problem would stop. That's our client's money, and we're not going to give it to you. That's the th- right. That's the thing. You give your money to a bank with the expectation of security. That's that's part of, yeah. You know why you deposit your money with a bank. But even, even there, as a client, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if somebody robs them because the federal government insures it, or even a private company insures it. The fact is, they're insured, and. Even if somebody robbed them of every single penny, my money's still going to be there, and yeah, if, and that encourages amount. crime. Because you know those insurance amounts, th- those insurances are like yeah up to a certain amount per account and stuff like that. But here's right. the thing: banks have to pay for that insurance. Yeah, do they? Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, it's, insur- it's a product. That, okay. Yeah, I think even the federal insurance they have to pay for. So, what does that mean? That means that. The more banks are getting robbed like this, the more they're giving their money away by not even requiring the the bank robber to show a gun. Um, the higher the cost of that insurance. Yeah, it, it's going to require more money to insure banks to get uh, against getting robbed if they're going to be robbed more often. So that money that could instead be used to, for example, pay out interest on depositor accounts and stuff like that. Is, is being spent on insurance against these robberies that they're not even asking the guy to produce a gun for. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it's a real problem. Right now, bank robbery is a very lucrative career, I think. Now, I don't know. I don't know how many I, of these people get caught. I absolutely know what I'm saying about the, you know, that the, the insurance goes up. Is, I'm sure that the insurance premiums are fixed in law and that kind of stuff. But yeah. whether it's fixed in law or not, you know, we should in, quit giving people money who don't at least have a gun to rob a bank with. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make and any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, at least at least produce some kind of evidence that shows you have the capability of being serious about this. Or yeah. another way to think of it is, hey, if you're going to take my money, I want my bank to at least establish as a baseline. Look, we're going to up the ante here. If you're going to do this then you have to first demonstrate that getting caught is going to be very expensive to you. It's going to be second degree, not third degree. Yeah, yeah. So the oh, the problem in all of this is that there's some bank teller who gets paid 15 bucks an hour to sit there and protect everyone's money, and she's the first line of defense, and she her gets traumatized by it because some wacko pulled Somebody out a gun and started... Or even kills her. And uh, so Vicky worked at a bank, and uh, it was a terrible bank, but she ended up quitting, and a week later they got robbed. 
Wow. Thing is, I you know, I don't think guys who rob back, you know, if if you're if you're going to go in with a gun, I still don't think most people who rob a bank intend to actually shoot someone. You could just right. kind of flash your gun a little bit, you know. See here, look, yeah. I got a gun. <laughs> you know, you don't need yeah. to. <laughs> all right, is and, is that right. your last story? No, that was my first one, wasn't it? No. Oh no, my first one was the DNA test. Was your third thing. one? DNA. Oh, that's right, DNA, uh, and then the stolen car, and then the bank thing. Okay, so yeah. so no, my my next one. So this is kind of weird. Uh, a couple. So I guess in on Myrtle Beach. Um, do you remember we didn't go to Myrtle Beach in South um, South Carolina. Carolina? We went North Carolina to. Uh, I don't remember which uh, beach. I remember you know what? the trip. No, 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 no. We actually, so we went to North Carolina Outer Banks, but it seems to me we also made a stop at Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. Could be. Okay. Regardless, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, this couple, I guess they've got, you know, they, they've got like the beach, beach walk and stuff. And so they've got like this sort of, um, car, not carnival, but, 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 uh, amusement park kind of atmosphere. So they've got this big fairy, yeah. uh, Ferris wheel. With these glass gondolas, and so this couple Jeez. was arrested for having sex in one of them. Oh, jeez! Publicly exposed. Wait a minute. Now, this uh, describe that ride again. It's a Ferris wheel. So you know the big wheel Ferris. that goes around. The okay. The, uh, the kind that you know you you would sit in a seat and you might take a girl on and maybe you manage to steal a kiss or something when you're up yeah. in the, the okay. top part or something. Okay, so you make her real scared by rock and back and forth, or something like that, right? So instead of instead of those seats, this one has these gondolas, these or gondolas. I don't know. What's a gondola? A gondola, kind of kind of a uh, think of it as like an an enclosed cart. Yeah. So okay, it it, you know so you know it's not the same kind of thing necessarily. Um, Yeah, and maybe it holds more people or something like that. But anyway. Mm They're glass, so people can see into them. So I okay. guess I guess this couple got on one and started, you know, so going they, at it. Not sure why they thought they could. Well, I but think he really I think scored. it was a thing. Yeah, he he yeah. did, and I think it was a thing. I think they they they're one of those couples that goes around and and films themselves and doing this in public places and stuff. then sells them to I don't know porn sites or something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so anyway, it's last easy. one. This is kind of cool. Um, Kentucky man uh, going viral for clearing his driveway of snow using a flamethrower. About a 30-second oh. clip. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is pretty good. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about making one of those. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid I'll blow myself up. Hey, okay, let's go the opposite way, though. A neighbor of mine, and by that I mean a guy who's in our neighborhood, and by that uh-huh. I mean a guy who's in the rich part of our neighborhood. I'm in the non-rich part of our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, made, he got bored, and so, and he's an engineer, so he took a, a, uh, an air compressor and a, uh, um, a pressure washer that he had, and, and between them, he made a s- snowmaker. Oh, he made you know, snow. You know the, like the kind that they have on ski slopes. Okay. You know, if it gets cold, they can make these yeah. snowmakers. So he made one, okay. and he put snow out on his front yard when nobody else had snow. 
Well, that's pretty cool. That was really cool. I'd still rather have a flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> Greg had kind of a, a, a mini flamethrower, and uh, we were down at camp and wanted to do something with it, so we made this long trail of gasoline through the yard that led to the big fire pit, uh-huh. and he's walking along with his flamethrower down at his side, and then all of a sudden happens to hit that gasoline, and this they, we got some video where he jumps up. Oh no! He started a fire. It, <laughs> we Did tried to film it, it anyway. I mean, yeah. was, was he acting? Yeah. So yeah, it was all a big. Oh, okay. We did this all so that we could film it. And then it didn't film too well. You can't really tell what's going on. But that was the idea. He's walking along with his flamethrower. And then suddenly pitches. Suddenly the whole ground lights up. And then, uh, well, you know the kinds of stupid things we did at camp. Yeah, like Uncle Joe getting his eyebrows singed. Did he get his eyebrows singed? Yeah, he didn't know I thought that. He got his had... toes cut off. That was a lawnmower, and that oh, wasn't okay. a camp. That was at at his mom's. But um, Granny okay. B. But no, he he was dad. He didn't know that. I think it was dad or somebody <coughs> had poured kerosene or or gasoline or I think it was gasoline over a log to you know yeah. that they were going to use to try to start a fire around and and he was going to, and he had a, a lighter that he was so you know he's like right up to it with a lighter he's yeah. trying to light some paper under it didn't smell the gasoline and then woof you know right into his face completely singed his eyebrows off yeah we we've, we've had a lot of big <laughs> fires down there i had <laughs> they did uh they did one where they had to, uh they they spent the whole day with a truck going back and forth to this place getting uh pallets and just piling them up. Uh-huh. And then just lit the thing. They didn't even, like, set any to the side to throw on the fire later. They just piled them up. Wow. I can't... I wasn't there for that fire. But uh, <laughs> they've had some pretty big fires down there. Yeah. And uh, I think the last big fire we had, uh, one of our cousins brought down all... I guess he, he shops at Amazon all the time. So he had just huge amounts of amazon boxes and oh, he's wow. in cincinnati so you can only throw away so much and oh i see I was gonna uh, say, he brought all his amazon out? boxes pretty much a truckload of amazon boxes and they're just throwing them on there and the the fire's getting big and it's right next to a tree and i'm trying to tell them guys it's going to catch this tree on fire they wouldn't listen to me and then uh lo and behold the tree catches on, on fire, fire. yeah <laughs> So I'm trying to put the tree out, and finally, uh, I didn't realize that one of them had a chainsaw. They had been planning on cutting the tree down anyway, and that's why they weren't worried about it catching on fire. But so, well, they could have told. They you. let me get all excited trying to put this fire out. <laughs> and they were just going to cut the like tree down anyway. They got this huge fire, and at the corner of the huge fire is a small tree getting caught on fire. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to put that tree out, which is. <laughs> It it just looks silly, you know. Me trying to dump water on this giant yeah. fire, and finally was like, "All right, Eric, settle down. We'll do it." And they went and got their chainsaw just and cut, cut it, it down. down. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Everybody should have a camp they can do stuff at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's part of 
part of becoming a man, I guess. I get yeah, some kind of rite of passage. All right. Anyway, that's all I got. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, we're about two hours in, so yeah, this was um, a long one. Yeah, I guess. Uh, just uh, remember what we said. Think about what we said, and uh, as always, keep praying and circle the beads. Circling them beads. That's all Bye, we everyone. got right now.